Will you pray with me? Thank you so much, Lord, for redeeming us, for paying our debt, for ransoming us, for freeing us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see you as our Passover lamb and to be able to trust you to save us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you remember the Where's Waldo books? Okay. Well, we're going to do a little bit of a version of that this morning. In a similar way, the theme of the Lamb of God is something that we see throughout the Bible, starting in Genesis and going all the way through to Revelation. All right, so we're going to start in Genesis this morning, and we're going to ask, why a lamb? Where's the lamb? Do you remember when the Lord called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, his son, and they climbed the mountain and everything was there, but what does Isaac say? Daddy, where's the lamb? Everything else is here. And Abraham says, God will provide for himself a lamb. And he did. And it was one lamb for one son. Okay? A lamb was sacrificed in Isaac's place. Well, where's the lamb in Exodus? We see it clearly in our passage for today, don't we? In chapter 12 and 13, the people were instructed to kill one lamb per household or to gather neighbors together in their house. So one lamb per house. Where's the lamb in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy? Yes, in the temple sacrifices. The sacrificial system was set up and on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would sacrifice one lamb for the sins of the entire people of Israel. Do you see a little bit of a progression here? Okay. But none of these lambs and bulls could take away sin. In Hebrews 10.4, it says, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so the question continues throughout the Bible. Where's the lamb? Where is the lamb that can take away our sin? And finally, we see prophesied in Isaiah. Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. So where is the lamb when we get to the New Testament? Well, the lamb, the creator of all other lambs, was born in a manger in Bethlehem. And he came to do something that none of the other lambs could do. He came to give his life as a once for all sacrifice. And we know that John the Baptist saw this and recognized this, and he declared, what, what did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God. And, and what, how many sins does he take away? The sins of the whole world. All right, so Jesus is the Lamb, the once for all sacrifice. Hebrews 10 tells us that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This is a doctrine with a big fancy name. It's called penal substitutionary atonement. All right, these are big words, and what that means is that we have a substitute who paid the penalty, that's penal, paid the penalty to reconcile us to God, okay, to make us at one. So if you can't ever remember what atonement means, think at one, okay? We are at one with God because of what Jesus has done for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that what? In him, we might have 
the righteousness of God. So that is the great exchange. So Jesus dying in our place, spilling his blood for us, is our only hope for reconciliation with God. It's his substitution that saves us. So Jesus, the Passover lamb of God, God's own firstborn son, died in our place. And that is what makes our passage today so significant. So I want you to see and to trust that Jesus, the Passover lamb of God, God's own firstborn son, died in our place. And in addition to that, I want you to rejoice. I want you to bow down in worship, knowing that this amazing God is not against us, but he is for us, right? He is God and we are not. Now, when we hear something repeated over and over in our passages, you might wonder why. And in Exodus, Moses writes about the Passover five times in addition to the event itself. His audience is one reason. His audience relied on oral instructions. They didn't have books to read, right? Now, these instructions for Passover were so important, it was a matter of life and death for them to get it right. So Moses repeats the instructions, all right? We also see different aspects of the celebration in the different telling of these instructions. The first time we saw it was last week in Exodus 11, which was a warning to Pharaoh about the death of the firstborn, kind of like a preview of what we see today. Now, in your homework this week, you saw a sandwich structure, and I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this. I just want to, just to show you that in the center of this sandwich, the meat, is the 10th plague and the exodus itself. And then we have all these instructions on either side of it, but it's all pointing to the event. All right, number one, we're gonna look at kneading the lamb. This is just a matter of review from last week from chapter 11. The reason that this plague is here is that you may know, right? You may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Now God is gonna reveal himself later in Exodus 33 as the God who has mercy on whom he has mercy. And in this passage in Exodus 12 and 13, we see that God has mercy on those that put the sacrifice, the blood over the door. Now we also see that God is making his wonders known, multiplied throughout the land of Egypt. So yes, Pharaoh's heart was hard, but Egypt and Israel would know that he is God. And now we come to the instructions for the Passover. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us that Jesus is our Passover lamb. So I'm gonna walk through the passage today with that in mind, showing you how each part of it points to Jesus. Now, the people were to choose the lamb. You might have noticed in the beginning that God sets a new timetable for his people. The beginning of months, it shall be the first month of the year for you. Now, God is saying, I'm doing a whole new thing here. You're gonna even rearrange your schedule, your calendars around this pivotal event. Now, in verse three, we see that the Passover lamb was sacrificed for the sin of one household, right? A lamb for a household. And this sacrificial lamb had to be free of all defects. And they were to bring it in the house and to watch it for a few days, right? Nearly four days they watched this lamb. And can you imagine this one-year-old lamb or a little goat in the house, and at the end of four days, what do you think the children were thinking of? They were probably a little bit attached, right? 
to this thing. <laughs> and, but here the head of the household would have to take this lamb and slit its throat to provide the protection and safety that they needed. They were gonna slaughter it. So how does this point to Jesus? Well, Jesus was the lamb without blemish or spot, it says in 1 Peter. And because of who he is, because of that, he is able to be that lamb whose blood is sacrificed for the sins of all of the people. There was no fault in him. He was pure. He was spotless. He was innocent. He was unstained. He was like us in every way, except with no sin. So Jesus also, like that lamb that came in the house for four days, he lived among us, okay, for 30 plus years in private, you know, in, in his home, growing up with his friends, with his disciples, in his public ministry. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you were healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I just think it's so sweet that in the Bible we not only have Jesus as our Passover lamb, he's also our good shepherd. It's just such a beautiful picture. All right, next we have number three, killing the lamb and applying the blood to the door. Now the lamb you read in your, in your uh, passage, they're gonna kill the lamb at twilight and it was on the 14th day of the month. This was during, I mean, this was the first Passover, but this points to Jesus because Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples and then it became the Last Supper. Now the lamb was killed at twilight when Jesus took his last breath on the cross, it was at the ninth hour, which would have been at twilight. Another thing that you're, we're gonna see here is in verse 22 um, and in verse, um, six, or verse seven, they're gonna take that blood and they're gonna paint the doorpost. But you saw this word basin here, right? That was repeated a couple of times. Now we might have, it, this could be a bowl, and we think of it as a bowl, as a basin that they would have drained the blood into. But another meaning for this word is the ditch or a trench that was by the doorway. So their houses were constructed in such a way that they didn't want the water to flow into the house, so there was a ditch in front of the door. So it's likely that they could have taken this lamb and they would have gone to the doorway, slid its neck there, and the blood would run into that little ditch by the doorway, this basin. And so when they said to take this bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood, the blood was there at the bottom in the threshold. And then they would have touched the lintel, which is the top, and then they touched the side. And you see what even the symbol is, or the, the sign that they're making. They're making a cross as they do that. Now, A.W. Pink said that this points to Jesus as well. He said that all four sides of the door are now sealed with blood. And he said, Jesus had blood above where the thorns pierced his brow, blood at his sides from his nail-pierced hands, and blood below from his nail-pierced feet. Now, for the people to do this, to obey Moses and the Lord's instructions, was an act of faith, and it showed that they believed God's word about the judgment to come and trusting in God's protection. So the Israelites went into their homes, and they were inside of this you know, their house and the door was sealed with blood on that first Passover night. 
They found redemption and protection when they were inside. Now, what happens the next morning? The next morning, they go out through this door again. They go through this blood-covered door, and they begin their journey as a newborn nation. Do you see the birth imagery here again? Okay, this is a brand new baby nation going out through this doorway of blood. That's what happens at birth. The other thing to remember here is that in John 10, Jesus said, he is the door. He says, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So we are born into a new life because of God's judgment on Jesus, who is our substitute. Now in verse 13, it says that the blood will be a sign, not for the Lord, what does it say? The blood will be a sign for you, okay? The Lord doesn't pass over them because they are Israelites versus Egyptians, no. And it's not because they're righteous or they're without guilt. The Israelites will be spared from death when the destroyer passes over because of the blood of the innocent lamb that is going to be over their doors. That blood is going to stand between them and Yahweh. This is the mercy and the grace of the Lord. The Bible tells us in Romans that we all deserve death because of sin. That's Romans 6.23. And we read in Romans 3.23 that uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. That word is another big word that means atoning sacrifice, okay? By a prop uh, as a propitiation by his blood to be received, how? By faith. That's what we do. We need to, by faith, have Jesus' blood covering us as well. Romans 5.9 says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from what? What are we saved from? From the wrath of God. We're saved from God's wrath. So we're spared from eternal death, not because we're guiltless, but because we're covered by the blood of Jesus. His blood must be applied to our hearts by faith. Okay, now number four, eating the lamb. Now first they eat it with bitter herbs, and this is to remind them of their hardships, their bitter suffering and their slavery. God doesn't want them to forget the anguish that they spent in the last 430 years. He wants them to remember their bitter bondage. So keep this in mind. Will they remember how horrible it was, or will they want to go back to Egypt? Now, this lamb also had to be eaten. This, the, the, the lamb was going to sustain them for this journey ahead. They were to eat the, all of the lamb, no leftovers that they're going to leave behind. If anything was le left, it was to be burned up. Jesus also said, we need to eat of him. He said, we must eat his flesh and drink his blood to have eternal life. So we too feed on Jesus. And do you remember what the religious leaders thought when Jesus said this? They were 
They were furious with him. Many of them left when he said this, right? Because this, they found this very offensive. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. They found this very offensive. But this is also connected with the Passover. Now, the other thing you notice in this section is that no bones in the Passover lamb were to be broken. This also fulfills prophecy. We read in John 19 that none of Jesus' bones were broken. So in the Passover, we see how our Redeemer rescued and delivered and set his people free from slavery. But now we see that we're not just saved from something, we are saved to something, okay? We have hints here in Exodus 12 of what we're gonna see in the rest of Exodus, that God saves his people for worship and for holiness. We're saved to be sanctified. And we see this in the instructions now about eating unleavened bread. Now, you learned in your lesson this week that yeast or leaven is a picture of sin. So putting away leaven points to putting away sin. It points to purity. Now, you might have also wondered about the penalty for having leaven in your house. The penalty is to be cut off from Israel, a banishing from the community of the Lord. And there are many instances in the Old Testament where someone is cut off. Failure to practice circumcision or violating the Sabbath, child sacrifice, trying to contact the dead, failure to observe the Day of Atonement, defiant, intentional sin. So what's the big deal about having leaven in your house? Why is that so important, you know? You can understand being cut off for some of these other things. Well, number one, it's a reminder to the people that God said they were to leave in a hurry, right? That's the first thing. God says, get rid of that leaven to remember why you left Egypt in haste. Number two, it also symbolized a sharp break from the life that they had known. They were quite literally sweeping the house clean from any remembrance of the influences that Egypt had had on them. So here's how understanding how bread was made in that day might help us to understand a little bit. Do any of you remember the craze from bygone days called friendship bread? You remember that? You'd have a bowl of this stuff on your counter and you'd feed it for 10 days and then you would take a chunk and you would bake it. You'd have a chunk that you would feed again and then you'd try to find friends that you could pawn off the rest on, right? <laughs> Some people even named theirs Herman. Herman, right? Okay, so you would make Herman muffins and Herman coffee cake and Herman everything, okay? Well, this, the people of Israel would bake, their bread was kind of like sourdough bread. So what they would do is they would save a chunk that, uh, that had the leaven in it. And then when they made their new bread, they would just mix in that chunk and that would be what would help that bread to rise. And so what God was saying is here is he's saying, you need to get rid of that old stuff, that old reminder. You don't need to hold on to that old stuff from Egypt. I'm going to give you plunder from the Egyptians. You don't need to hold on to the old leaven. One commentator said God wanted to do something more than to get his people out of Egypt. He wanted to get Egypt out of his people. So now after being in Egypt for 400 years, some of them began to probably adopt some of their customs, their gods and goddesses, their idols. And so when God rescued them, he also wanted them to forsake these idols. He's saying, don't go back. Don't hold on to that old lump. You left that. You're not a slave in Egypt anymore. Don't go back there. 
So in part two of Exodus, we're going to see how the Israelites are going to continue to struggle with this. They even tell Moses they want to go back, all right, to where they were as slaves. Now, Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, do you not know that a, leaven, a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Do you see that? You may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. Jesus has done that for us. He has sanctified us. So he's saying, sweep out this old leaven because that's what you are in Christ. And why? For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So Jesus is our Passover lamb who set us free. And just ask yourself, are there any lumps of leaven that you have laying around in your house that you're still holding on to? Get rid of it. We're saved in order to be sanctified. That's who we are in Christ. And it's very good to remember how Jesus has saved us, but remember that we've been saved for a purpose, God's glory. This means getting rid of that leaven in our lives and sweep out that sin before it has a chance to grow. All right, trusting in the lamb. Here we're instructed to, the people were instructed to take a bunch of hyssop. You might have wondered why hyssop. Hyssop is, a, is an herb, we know it as marjoram, and it's, it's got, um, it's, yeah, it's got, um, it's, it's constructed such that it could be used like a paintbrush, okay? It would hold some liquid to it. In Psalm 51, David says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And do you remember what Jesus said when he's on the cross, or what Jesus says when he's on the cross? He says, I'm thirsty. So a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. All right, just another connection with Jesus and Passover. All right, trusting the lamb. One more thing in this section. It says here, it says, when you come to the land, or you shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. All right? And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. Okay, you might wonder, if we're commanded to keep this forever, why don't we? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? And I personally have had friends that, that used to be Jewish who um, are now believing in the Messiah and you know, they, they, they have a rich heritage and celebrating the Passover meal is called the Seder. It's got some beautiful, beautiful imagery. And I've talked with a couple of, of people and I'm hoping that in next year in the spring, right before we, you know, actual Passover time, we could actually do that as a class, celebrate the Seder so you could see some of the rich significance that developed through the years. But that's an aside. Why don't we celebrate Passover now? It's because Jesus forever transformed this feast. When he celebrated Passover with his disciples for the last time, the Bible tells us that this was happening during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then it goes on to describe the preparations that his disciples made. So Jesus didn't just celebrate Passover, he began a whole new feast. And so when he gave his disciples the bread, he said, this is my body. And when he gave them a the cup. He said, this is 
my blood. This is, the, this, is, this is my blood of the new covenant, right? Jesus was saying, I am the lamb that will be sacrificed to take away your sins. And so this Sunday, we're going to celebrate communion here. So I'm hoping and praying that you will just have new eyes to see and just a heart that rejoices seeing Jesus as our Passover lamb. Now this, the Passover celebration was for the people to look backwards at what God had done in, in saving them, in the 10th plague and in the Exodus. And we look back at the cross, don't we? That's where we look. Jesus has rescued us there. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. That's what we remember, that we're sinners saved by trusting in the Lamb. All right, number seven, seeing the severity and the mercy of God. Here we see the actual plague on the firstborn, and you see that word over and over, don't we? Here's the firstborn many times here in this section, the firstborn. We also saw this back in Exodus 11 many times, four times in Exodus 11, and we also see it in chapter 13 because of that sandwich structure. We see the instructions for celebrating um, the, the consecration of the firstborn. Now remember back in Exodus 4, when Moses was to say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me, and if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. And then in chapter 13, verse two, God says, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beast, is mine. Firstborns belong to the Lord. They're not really ours, they're the Lord's. Now, clean animals were to be sacrificed. Unclean animals needed a substitute, like a lamb or a goat, to be redeemed or bought back. Now, the firstborn sons, we read, they're the Lord's. So if you want him back, you pay a purchase price or you ransom him. So we don't sacrifice animals anymore for our firstborn sons. And why don't we do that? Because Jesus is our once for all sacrifice for redemption. Colossians tells us that Jesus is the firstborn. He is God's one and only son. And we read in Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, his firstborn son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God did not compromise his judgment in Christ. The same God who came down in judgment to kill the firstborn in Egypt came down in judgment at the cross in the death of his own son. One commentator said, Israel sacrificed a Passover lamb so as not to sacrifice their firstborn sons, but God, who is rich in mercy, sacrificed both. Okay, remembering God's deliverance. Did you notice that a mixed multitude went up with them? Some of the Egyptians left with the Israelites, and we don't know how many responded and may have even turned to the Lord. Last week, we did see that some of them began to fear the Lord, and maybe some of them are even led to worship. 
And we read in verse 42 of chapter 12, it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. How about us? Hebrews 2, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of, this, partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and do what? Deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So when we are remembering God's deliverance, we remember God's deliverance of us from our slavery to sin. Going on to celebrating with strangers, okay? The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover, no foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. Now just a quick note here. This is debt servitude. This is not the kind of slavery that we are familiar with, that we think of when we think of you know, people being stolen and sold and then in slavery for, you know, forever and ever. This is a kind of slavery where an Israelite would say, I don't have any money, I don't, I don't have money to live, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sell myself to my neighbor and I'm gonna serve my neighbor, but then in the seventh year, we're gonna learn later what happens is that those, those slaves, those servants are set free, okay? So it's a different kind of slavery here. Now we read in verse 47 that this was for all the congregation of Israel, okay, all the congregation, but there's some restrictions here. And one commentator said the exclusion is not a matter of race, but of grace. It had to do with who belonged to the people of God. If someone says, I want to partake of the Passover, I want to be a part of this community, if we're willing to be marked out as God's people to be circumcised, then anyone was welcome to join them. And so how about us? Ephesians 2, there's this precious, precious passage that I love that says, therefore remember that at one time you, Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, that is the Jewish people, which is made in flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers, that's what we were, strangers, to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Aren't you glad that the Lord made a way for us strangers to partake? Okay, now, remembering the strong hand of the Lord. You saw this phrase repeated over and over here. Remember this day, right? Remember. Why? For by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out. By a strong hand. Okay, over and over we see this, right? By a strong hand. So God is showing his mighty, strong, redemptive power and his justice because he's keeping his promises. God wanted his people to remember his saving power from generation to generation. But once the current generation died, all the next generation ha would have would be stories of what happened. They probably thought, how could we ever forget this? You know, right? 
this plague, this night, it was so amazing. How could we forget what the Lord has done for us? Certainly we're going to remember all these plagues, especially this last one, how we were spared by the blood of the Lamb. But of course, maybe slowly, over time, the amazingness of God's grace wore off. The generations did not see it for themselves. They only had stories. And this is why the story of the Passover and the Exodus was so crucial. It was God's way of helping them remember what happened. How about for us? All kinds of, of commands for us to remember. Nehemiah says, remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord. Ecclesiastes, remember the creator in the days of your youth. Psalm 105, remember the wonderf wonderful works he has done. Second Timothy says, remember Christ, risen from the dead. And, and Jesus himself, do this in remembrance of me. Sisters, we need to remember and we need to share all that God has done for us. It's why we should commemorate our own history individually, but also collectively. And we're going to have an opportunity to do that in a couple of weeks, November 21st. We've been celebrating 150 years of God's faithfulness to Bethlehem Baptist Church. And so whether you've been here for 50 plus years or less than a year, I just hope you'll be encouraged to come and join in that celebration and just remember God's goodness. All right? Again, we see in this passage, we see this phrase, uh, forever. And so why don't we? Why don't we observe Passover forever? Again, I'm just going to recap. We don't celebrate these Jewish feasts. The Passover lamb pointed to the perfections of Jesus. All of the details of the timing of the offering of the Passover lamb are repeated in Christ's crucifixion. Christ has come to be the Passover lamb. At the last Passover, Jesus gave a new meaning to the Passover. So instead of celebrating the redemption of the people of Israel from Egypt, we celebrate Jesus and his redeeming work on the cross as the Lamb of God. We also celebrate the empty tomb. So at the cross, we see the judgment of God poured out on sin, and we see the death of God's firstborn son. We also see grace and mercy as the blood of Jesus, our Lamb, our substitute, covers us from the wrath that we deserve. So where is the Lamb? We see the Lamb here in Revelation. In Revelation, we hear 30 times John shares this, 30 times. And so what I'd like to do is I would like to close by us reading this and rejoicing in this together as a prayer, as a prayer of thanks. So if you want to stand, I'd invite you to stand, and let's just read this together. Okay, this is our praise to, to Jesus. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God for every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen.